Well, if you have your Bibles with you this evening, go ahead and turn with me to 2 Peter. We begin a new series this evening. In 2 Peter, and tonight we will be looking at chapter 1, the first four verses. Verses 1 through 4. Join me once again in prayer before we hear the reading and preaching of the word. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, you are so good to us to give us your word. It is truth from your very mouth. We thank you, Lord, that you guide us and direct us, that you teach us and chasten us, that you show us your love, that you show us your compassion, that you even show us your justice, your wrath, your jealousy. Um, in the midst of these pages and in these pages. Oh, Lord, that we would come to see you more and more is our desire, that we would grow in the knowledge of Christ and of your work for us, our triune God. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bless us now as we consider these words from Peter. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, here now, the holy, inerrant, infallible Word of God, written for you and for me today. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, beloved in Christ, as we start a new series in the writings of Simon Peter, we will dive into his second epistle here tonight. And if you remember uh, what was true about Peter, who he was, Peter was a fisherman from Bethsaida who lived in Capernaum, along the Sea of Galilee. He was a disciple of Christ for three years. He had a brother, Andrew, we learn in John 1.40. He was married. His mother-in-law was healed by Christ in Capernaum. We see that in Matthew 8.14-17. And Peter was a disciple who loved Jesus, denied him, and then later was restored to ministry by Christ himself, in order that he would go and feed his precious lambs. And if you would like to hear more about Peter, I'd refer you to my sermon on 1 Peter chapter 1, the first sermon there in that series, uh, where I share a bit more. But what here about this second epistle from Peter? What's important to know about it? Well, whereas Peter wrote 1 Peter somewhere between 60 to 68 AD, probably at a time... Uh, that is earlier in those years, he wrote Second Peter towards the end of that span of years, possibly between 65 to 67 A.D. 
How do we know that this is true? Well, we know that Peter died in 67 or 68 AD. Tradition recounts that he was hung upside down on a cross. And in chapter 1, verse 14, Peter refers to his imminent death, suggesting a time towards the end of his life. And though Peter provides little information here regarding his audience in this letter, based on what he does say, it's likely true that the recipients were the same Christians in Asia Minor who received his first epistle. And this being the case, are there differences in the focus of this letter in comparison to 1 Peter? Well, yes, there are. In 1 Peter, we find a big theme to be hope in the midst of suffering, didn't we? Hope in the midst of suffering. How to live the Christian life well in the midst of a watching and persecuting world. And here in 2 Peter, we find Peter's focus to be on the importance and necessity of spiritual growth. The importance of the, and the necessity of spiritual growth. As well as warning of the dangers of false teachers and their teaching. Peter's grand purpose in this letter is to call us to persevere and flourish in our Christian faith, as well as to warn of false teachers who had crept into the church to lead the saints astray. And so this evening we find Peter's letter and greeting to be directed towards those who have obtained a life-precious faith. And so let's consider his initial greeting tonight in verse 1. His words regarding grace and peace and knowledge. In verse 2, as well as power and promises to partakers in verses 3 and 4. Look with me there at verse 1a. He identifies himself, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now notice how Peter's greeting to the saints in Asia Minor is similar, but also different from his greeting to them in 1 Peter. Peter identifies himself here with his name, Simon Peter. Now remember that Peter was referred to by several names in the scriptures. Peter, Simon Peter, Simon Barjona, and Cephas. Now, Simon was his birth name, or Simeon, which was his Hebrew name. And Christ changed his name to Peter, which means stone or rock. Upon his confessing Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, in Matthew 16. Now, a second addition we find here in Peter's greeting in verse 1 is his identifying himself as a bondservant of Christ, as well as one of his apostles. It was important for the people to know that Peter, like them, had been freed from being a slave to sin and ransomed by Christ to be his slave and apostle. Christ sent one. That's what apostle means, right? His sent one, his messenger of the gospel. And what a great honor it is, then, to be freed from the master of darkness, from bondage to sin, and to be a servant, a slave of of this master, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? Peter's words here are helpful, considering the words he uses to describe and identify his audience. Look at the connections there in verse 1b. To those who have obtained a like 
precious faith with us. Now, notice a few things here. See how Peter doesn't identify the recipients of his letter as the, sta the saints scattered abroad, or the pilgrims of the dispersion, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, like he did in 1 Peter. But rather, the description of what they possess identifies who they are. Those who have obtained a life-precious faith with us, he says. This accurately describes what was true of the saints then. It's also true of us today. We have obtained a life-precious faith. The same faith of the apostles. The same faith as Peter, that is, in Christ. The apostles weren't on some upper level, some higher echelon of faith, separate from other believers. No, with us is a key phrase here. Faith unites all bondservants of Christ, regardless of calling, to Christ. And Peter and the other apostles were their brothers. Being at the end of his life here, Peter had a full life of growth and ministry, and he wanted the saints to know that they weren't second-class Christians. They weren't second-class Christians, for faith purifies the heart of one as truly as of another. Right? And every sincere believer is justified by faith alone in the sight of God. And in justification, God forensically and legally declares that believer to be righteous. And so Peter says that we obtain this faith. Now, how did we obtain it? Thinking about other things we may obtain in life. We didn't go out and get it, or buy it, or earn it, or take it. But Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that saving faith is a gift from God. We received it from divine appointment. It was a divine gift from God to us. And also see that it is a precious faith, importantly, Peter says. And as we consider this preciousness, our thoughts should be taken back to Peter's words in 1 Peter 1, 6, and 7. You can look at that if you'd like. But 1 Peter 1, 6, and 7, where Peter speaks of the genuineness of our faith. The genuineness of our faith and what is true of it. Look at verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So notice here, Peter speaks of the genuineness of our faith being more precious than gold that perishes and, and is tested by fire. Beloved, true saving faith is of great value and is a treasure to the believer. It's a precious grace from God. It's uncommon, as is evident in a very small number of true believers among a great multitude of people. Um, Jesus teaches us this in Matthew 22, verse 14, where he says, for many are called, but few are chosen. Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, importantly teaches us a repeated truth that is also in much of the scriptures, even in the Old Testament, that the just lives by faith. Right? The just shall live 
by faith. Isaiah in Isaiah 55 verse 1 says this, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Matthew Henry explains it this way in regards to faith. Faith goes to Christ and buys the wine and milk which are the proper nourishments of the new creature. Faith buys and brings home the tried gold, the heavenly treasure that enriches. And as we see in verse 1c of of 2 Peter 1, Peter says, By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not only does Peter teach us here and reinforce the deity of Christ in this phrase, but as he speaks to the preciousness of faith as, as well as our obtaining it, it is through the righteousness of Christ. Think about it. The satisfactory righteousness and obedience of Christ gives faith all of its value. Christ's righteousness is of infinite value to those who receive it by faith. And so the saints, and even us today, need to remember this wonderful gift of faith, for for this true faith was in contrast, and we're going to see this fleshed out in the rest of the letter, it was in contrast to that of the false teachers and their teaching that Peter will talk about. And so Peter greets his brothers and sisters, the, the, the recipients of this like precious faith with them. But he goes on in verse 2 to say then in that greeting, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or of our, Jesus our Lord, right? So in his first epistle, Peter likewise desired God's unmerited favor and peace be multiplied to the saints. We see that common in both of these letters. But here he desires the same, but also adds in what way he desired that multiplication to happen. In the knowledge of God, note, and of Jesus our Lord. It's true that salvation and spiritual growth come through the knowledge of God, the the knowledge of the person and the work of Jesus Christ in the gospel. John 17, verse 3, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And Paul again to Corinth in the 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul told Philippi in Philippians 3, 7 and 8, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. And so we see the knowledge of God, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, being paramount, being important in the life, and the mind, and the heart of the believer. Beloved, this growth in knowledge and, and spiritual maturity is possible 
because of the precious faith that we have. We are drawn to the Scriptures, to prayer. We are drawn to Christ as the Spirit works in and through His Word to to open our understanding that we would know God's grace, that we would know God's peace more and more as we grow in knowing Christ more. And I've said it before, but I'll say it again, and I'll continue to say it until the cows come home, that Christ is really, in, in knowing Him and growing in our relationship with Him, is one of the most glorious and wonderful things, but one of the most important things in our life. If not the most important thing, is that we would know Jesus and we would grow in knowing Him and growing in our relationship with Him and love and adoration for Him. And God does so wonderfully in the words of Scripture. And so Peter goes on to explain more about knowing God, doesn't he? As he speaks to the benefits and the gifts of God in his power, in his promises to partakers. Look at verse 3. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Again, we see this knowledge is important, don't we? We do well to never forget that God provides for all of our needs. Physical, emotional, and spiritual. God is the giver of all good gifts and has given us all things that we need regarding how we should think, how we should live, how we should walk. There's nothing that anyone, especially false teachers, can add to what God has revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And Christ, through His power and Word, effectually calls sinners into the radiance of His majesty and excellence. Really, the fountain of all spiritual blessings is the divine power of Christ. And so has Christ called us? Or excuse me, Christ has called us by glory and virtue. And, and what does this mean? What is Peter referring to here? Peter is referring to God's effectual call. Paul prayed for the saints in Ephesus in Ephesians 1, 17 through 19, saying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and note in what? In the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power? We see the connection, we see the similarity in, in the words, in what Peter is talking about, and what Paul has said to Ephesus. This power of virtue is to be praised by all believers. Peter says in chapter 2, verse 9, just in the next chapter ahead, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Again, the Lord's call is effectual. First Peter 5, 10 and 11. Peter says, But may the God of all grace, 
who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so we see this call. We see the knowledge of Christ. And in verse 4, Peter says, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Great gift after great gift after great gift. See the giver and his gifts in these verses. God's call and the gift of precious faith. The gift of all things that we need by his power revealed in Christ. As well as here, the gift of exceedingly great and precious promises. If anyone were to try to minimize the greatness of the promises of God... And the preciousness of the promises of God, you need to take them back to this verse. Okay? You need to pray that the Lord would press this truth into their heart and mind. For we see the gift of exceedingly great and precious promises. What, does, what do these words remind you of? The exceedingly great riches the storehouses of God's grace, right, that Paul talks about in Ephesus. But we also see here these precious promises. These high-value promises are the means by which God imparts faith as well as life and godliness, including the promise of Christ's return. Including the promise of Christ's return. That is a big one that is in view here. But Peter says that it's through these promises that we may be partakers of the divine nature. Now, some of you may be wondering, wait, Pastor, is Peter saying that we can become like God? No, absolutely not. Peter is teaching us that God makes us into his children with his image and likeness by the power of his call. We have been redeemed in Christ to be obedient children who... Do not conform to selfish love, who don't conform to the corruptions of the world through lust, Peter is saying. And this is going to be fleshed out again more as he expands his discussion about the false teachers and their teaching. In 1 Peter 1, Peter said this in verses 13 through 16. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lusts. This is the same idea, the same concept here. They're going to tell you otherwise. They're going to tell you to bathe in it, but you don't do this. Don't conform yourself to the former lusts. Those things that you're well familiar with. In your depravity. As in your ignorance, Peter says. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Beloved, wonderfully, 
wonderfully. We escaped bondage to such corruption in Christ. Notice his words there in verse 4 of chapter 1 of Second Peter. We've escaped bondage to such corruption uh, through Christ. And by God's grace, the, the Holy Spirit works in us to stay away from such corruption, to fight it. All saints need to hear this as we face both temptation and false teaching. So think about this as you leave tonight. It's so good and it's so right for believers to be encouraged and guided and corrected by the pure truth of God regarding who we are, His gifts to us, along with His work in us, especially when the truth is being twisted and skewed by either some in our midst, not to mention those who are outside in the world. And we're trying to navigate and sort through these things, maybe even defend the faith and face the challenges in doing so. But again, how do we do that better more and more? Through diving, bathing, spending time in the Word, and prayer, by the work of the Spirit, that we would truly know God and know Christ. That is the strongest defense. As we know what His Word teaches us, and we stand on it, and we also proclaim it. You know, sometimes it's hard to tell which teaching is true and right. But God is gracious to give us His Word, to give us under-shepherds, to walk alongside us and to help us to know more of what we believe as we walk in the light. But also, take Peter's words here regarding growth in the knowledge of God and Christ to heart and be committed to deepening yours in the study of His Word. Knowing more about the gifts of God that He has given you in these verses, think afresh tonight about your faith and the preciousness of it. Sometimes we don't think about that very often, do we? We definitely don't think about it often enough. But of such high value and great value is our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not common. For there are many out there who do not believe in the blood. Even some who have crept into our midst and are trying to deceive us in the church. Such false teachers. Again, our faith is truly precious. Our, tra- our faith truly has high and exceedingly great value because it is given to us by God Himself. To those who He has called to be His people, His children. But also know God's grace and peace and, and see it abounding, and, and it's abounding presence and work as you grow in the knowledge of Christ because it's because of the grace of God and because of His work that you will have such knowledge, that you will grow in your knowledge of Christ. And this is our Savior who has called you by His effectual call, who has justified you by faith and has given you all that you need for life and godliness in Him by His power. And so then know the greatness and the preciousness of His promises. For like our faith, it is a wonderful thing that we share with all saints of Christ. It is a wonderful thing that we share with the apostles, because they are our brothers. But never forget the preciousness and the great value of his promises. 
rest in them, stand in them, walk in light of them, with great confidence and joy in the Lord Jesus. As he has made you children of God, and having freed you from the corruption of sin and worldliness, and having the promise of his work in you by his Spirit, as he will never leave you or forsake you, and as the Spirit is doing his wonderful, sanctifying work in you in accordance with his word, and he is, as he is constantly keeping your eyes and calling you to keep your eyes forward on Christ, on his word, but on that which is to come, on Christ and his return, on the heavenly and glorious eternity that we will have with him, with all saints. So we see the preciousness of these things here tonight. I pray that you see those things more and more as the Lord encourages you, comforts you, and grows you in this word. Amen. Praise God for this word. Let's pray together.